Welcome to the Aroma of Christ podcast, brothers and sisters in Christ. I am Ryan Brown, the pastor of the Fostoria Baptist Church, and the hope behind this podcast is to do nothing in any way to replace regular gathering among God's people. It is for the sake of mutual encouragement of one another through the singing and preaching ministry that we gather. But if you do happen to miss a week and want to keep up in Matthew, or if you want to re-listen to a sermon because it was particularly impactful or particularly confusing, this podcast is available to you. And so we continue on the Aroma of Christ sermons from the pulpit of Fostoria Baptist Church. Now that you've been saved by Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave, now that you are accepted in God's beloved Son, how do you, re- do you relate to him? And in particular, how do you relate to him in regards to living in accordance with his commands? Scripture reading is Micah 6. Verses 1 to 8. The Lord has a contention with his people, the children of Israel, and his contention is asking how he has wearied them. After all, he's done so much to save them out of Egypt. He's done so much to show blessing to them while the nations try to curse them. And then the prophet speaks. And he speaks about what he would do to come before the Lord. And he asks, am I going to bring ten thousands of rivers of oil and thousands of rams? Is it the right type of sacrifice or even the right amount of sacrifice that's ultimately going to cause God to be happy and pleased? That's not the answer that is given It's not an aspect of religion. Instead, it's an aspect of character and communion. Listen in in Micah 6, 1 through 8. Hear ye now what the Lord saith. Arise, contend thou before the mountains, and let the hills hear thy voice. Hear ye, O mountains, the Lord's controversy, and ye strong foundations of the earth. For the Lord hath a controversy with his people, and he will plead with Israel. O my people, what have I done unto thee? And wherein have I wearied thee? Testify thou unto me. For I brought thee up out of the land of Egypt, and redeemed thee out of the house of servants. And I sent before thee Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O my people, remember now what Balak, king of Moab, consulted, and what Balaam, the son of Baor, chancered him from Shittim unto Gilgal, that ye may know the righteousness of the Lord. Wherewith shall I come before the Lord, and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my my soul? He hath showed thee, O man, what is good. 
And what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God? We can turn again to Matthew chapter 23, where we'll be looking at verses 16 through 24, Lord willing, today. The next two woes in Jesus' woe discourse. We discussed woe as being Jesus, the just judge, calling judgment for the Pharisees, describing the fact that condemnation is coming because of these things that they're doing. The main charge that's repeated in six of the seven woes is hypocrisy. And they're pretending and putting on a mask, acting as if in a play. Last week it was their zeal. Their zeal that ultimately did more harm than good. Today we find that it's their spiritual blindness. Matthew Chapter 23, verses 16 through 24. Woe unto you, ye blind guides, which say, Whosoever shall swear by the temple, it is nothing. But whosoever shall swear by the gold of the temple, he is a debtor. Ye fools and blind, for whether is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifieth the gold? And whosoever shall swear by the altar, it is nothing, but whosoever sweareth by the gift that is upon it, he is guilty. Ye fools and blind, for whether is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifieth the gift. Whoso therefore shall swear by the altar, sweareth by it and by all things thereon. And whoso shall swear by the temple, sweareth by it and by him that dwelleth therein. And he that shall swear by heaven, sweareth by the throne of God, and by him that sitteth thereon. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done and not to leave the other undone. Ye blind guides, which strain at a gnat, and swallow a camel. Father God, we ask that you would open our eyes today. You would cause us to see your glory the beauty of your Son, and the beauty of what your Son has done for us. 
and the wonderful privilege we have of knowing you. We ask that you would open our eyes to the words of this text. We'd understand where the Pharisees were blind. And we ask, Lord, that you would open our eyes to blind spots that we might have. That we would not be blind guides either. But allow us to be following Jesus, our all-seeing guide. May we understand what the just judge says. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen. If you're stuck, lost in the woods, and you need someone to lead you out of the woods, there's going to be a level of who you would trust. The person who happens to own the woods and has explored in those woods multiple times is the person you're going to trust the most. People who have been in it once or twice, you would trust them more than those who had never been in it at all. But the person that you're probably never going to trust to be your guide out of the woods is a blind man. Who can't see the trees, can't tell if you've seen the same tree before, can't see the sun to get a direction of which way is north. South, east, west. You want a guide who can see and a guide who knows his way around. And the Pharisees, they sat themselves in Moses' seat. There's a certain sense in which they've placed themselves in the position of a guide morally and religiously for the people of Israel. Jesus' charge is that they are blind guides. They're not going to get anyone out of the woods. They're not going to lead anyone to God's glory and grandeur because they themselves have missed it. This third and fourth woe Show us that regarding law-keeping, the Pharisees are blind to the heart of the matter. And the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. The Pharisees are blind to the heart of the law, the heart of the matter, which in fact is the matter begin with the third woe, woe about swearing and honesty. Verses 16 through 22, swearing and honesty. Matthew 23, 16, woe unto you, 
you blind guides, which say, Whosoever shall swear by the temple, it is nothing. But whosoever shall swear by the gold of the temple, he is a debtor. Ye fools and blind. For whether is greater the gold or the temple that sanctifieth the gold? And whosoever shall swear by the altar, it is nothing. But whosoever sweareth by the gift that is upon it, he is guilty. Ye fools and blind, for whether is greater the gift or the altar that sanctifieth the gift? Whoso therefore shall swear by the altar, sweareth by it and by all things thereon. And whoso shall swear by the temple, sweareth by it and by him that dwelleth therein. And he that shall swear by heaven sweareth by the throne of God and by him that sitteth thereon. This woe begins differently than the other woes by saying, Woe unto you, ye blind guides. Addressing them as leaders who can't see and so can't lead well. But it highlights things that they are saying that shows their blindness. Two statements they make, and Jesus responds to both of them right after explaining it. So he reports them as saying that if you swear by the temple, it is nothing. But whosoever shall swear by the gold of the temple, he is a debtor. Here they're talking about oaths. Talking about something along the lines of, I swear that this is the case. Usually you would swear by something. And they're trying to figure out how to preserve the integrity of oaths. So they think through, okay, which oaths are binding? If you swear by this thing, you have to obey it. But if you swear by this thing, oh, maybe it's not that big of a deal. You can get out of that. And they're asking then and saying that if you swear by the temple, no big deal. But if you swear by the gold of the temple, then you are bound to what you have said. That oath counts. And Jesus in verse 17 asks them, which is greater? The gold or the temple that makes the gold special, sacred, and holy. It's pretty clear why he can call them fools and blind, as he makes this argument to say, you say that swearing by the gold matters and swearing by the temple doesn't, but the gold wouldn't matter at all, except that it was the gold of the temple. And we in this country, have paper money. We take that paper money and buy things at grocery stores. But that paper money only allows us to buy things at grocery stores because it's backed by the Federal Reserve. 
So what's really more important, the paper dollar or the Federal Reserve? What's really more important, the gold, however precious it may be in the world's eyes, or the temple that dedicated that gold to the Lord? Because it's in the place where he chose his name to dwell. Similarly, Jesus continues to report on what these blind guides are saying. They're saying, if you swear by the altar, it is nothing. But if you swear by the gift on the altar, then you are bound. Then that oath counts. And he asks essentially the same question in verse 19. What is greater? The offering, the bull or lamb or ram that you're putting upon it, or the altar of Yahweh that makes it sacred and holy. The altar that means that that lamb is not just another lamb of the flock, but a lamb dedicated to the Lord. Which is ultimately greater? In regard to the swearing of oaths and what one could swear by, these Pharisees have missed what truly matters and what's important. But I think we miss the heart of the matter if we don't notice that this seems to be illustrative, seems to be a, a means of showing to us an illustration of something, something else. Something else that they're missing. Why are they trying to figure out what oaths are binding and what oaths are not? Why should anyone be able to get out of an oath that one makes no matter what it's made upon? Indeed, for that matter, why should there be a question of us getting out of our word, whether we promised it or swore it or just simply said it? Where is the push for honesty? Now, Jesus keeps making this point, he continues on in this woe. Verse 20 through 22, he starts coming back to these discussions of the swearing of an oath. And he starts with the altar. Whoso shall swear by the altar, sweareth by it and by all things thereon. It's not just a matter of saying, okay, I, I swear by the altar, but I haven't sworn by the gift, so I'm okay. He says, no, if you've sworn by the altar, you've sworn by every animal that has been offered upon it. And he keeps going then to look at the first thing that he reports them as saying about swearing by the temple. Whoso shall swear by the temple sweareth by it and. And in parallel with verse 20, 
And based off of what the Pharisees were reported as saying in verse 17, we'd expect something like all that is therein, all that is within it, or something that ties us to the gold that they said was so valuable. But Jesus subverts it, subverts that expectation, does something different. It says that if you swear by the temple, you swear by it and by him that dwelleth therein. Not the what of the temple that's inside, but the who of the temple that's inside. The Lord setting that as the place of his name. Swearing by the temple, you're certainly bound because you're swearing by the name of Yahweh himself. And just to further on, he then adds another opportunity to talk about a different type of swearing. To say that if you swear an oath by heaven, you swear by the throne of God and by him that sitteth on. Here's another thing where God makes it sacred. God makes heaven sacred by sitting upon his throne there. And this last item that he talks about swearing by heaven also brings us back to a different point in Matthew. Another time in which oaths are mentioned and in particular, it's mentioned about swearing by heaven. Turn back with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, we'll be reading verses 33 to 37. In Matthew 5, 33 to 37, Jesus is speaking. It's part of what we call the Sermon on the Mount. He's going through six things in which he says, You have heard it said, but I say unto you. In verses 33 to 37, the you have heard it said has to do with swearing oaths. And there we read, again, ye have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, thou shalt not forswear thyself, but thou shalt perform unto the Lord thine oaths. But I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool. Neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. But let your communication be yea, yea, nay, nay. For whatsoever is more of this cometh. They've heard it said, do not swear, perform what you owe, 
He says, what do you really have to swear by? If you swear by heaven, you're swearing by God, because that's God's throne. If you swear by earth, these things that seem like it belongs to us because that's where we live, you're swearing by God because the earth is but his footstool. And if you swear by Jerusalem, you're swearing by the city of the great king, the Lord Messiah. If you say, okay, I'll swear by my own head, can you make your hair grow? Can you make it white or black? God can, but can you? God owns a cattle on a thousand hills. The whole world is his and the fullness thereof. Anything is his. Therefore, any oath would be swearing by that which is his. And so instead, Jesus in Matthew 5.37 calls us to be honest with our words, live in such a lifestyle that we don't need oaths to indicate that we're telling the truth. But let our communication be yea, yea, nay, nay. For whatsoever is more of these, cometh of evil. As we turn back to Matthew chapter 23, it seems that this heart of honesty is the heart of the matter. It's the main point of how we should live in regard to swearing oaths. Not a discussion about which oaths are binding and which are not, but a reality that our word, with or without an oath, with or without a promise, is binding. The Pharisees are blind, leading people away from it. And that's not the only way in which they exercise blindness as guides to the things that really matter. The fourth woe, verses 23 to 24, a woe about tithing and faithfulness. A woe about tithing and faithfulness. Matthew 23, 23, 24. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, Judgment, mercy, and faith. These we ought to have done, and not to leave the other undone. Ye blind guides, which strain at a gnat, and swallow a camel. Here, Jesus returns to the normal introduction throughout this, uh, with throughout these woes. 
Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Calling down their judgment, focusing on their masking and pretending. This time, he's looking at them being very, very precise in how they handle tithing procedure from the Mosaic Law. Could be lots of debates about how much had to be tithed under the Mosaic Law. But they are very rigid, very precise, and take care of the minute details of even spices and herbs. Mint, anise, and cumin. Not just the plants, not just the grain, not just the animals, but tithing of these small details. Jesus doesn't directly say they're wrong. He just says their focus is in the wrong place. And because their focus is in the wrong place, they're blind to what truly matters. Focusing on this precision of tithing these spices, they have omitted, they have neglected the weightier matters of the law. They've majored on these minors. And so I've minored on the majors. Judgment, mercy, and faith. What does the Lord thy God require of thee? But to do justice and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. The prophet Micah gives voice to the possibility of whether the Lord would be satisfied with tens of thousands of animals. And he says, the Lord's told you what is good. What the Lord requires of you is justice mercy, and walking humbly. What the Lord requires, what the Lord desires, is character. It's things that spring forth from our hearts. To do justice, or as we have in Matthew, that judgment is the weightier matter of the law, seems to be to make sure that things are fair and even. To look out for the vulnerable and tend to the needs. To love mercy or have mercy would be to love covenant loyalty. To extend it to others, extend love, mercy, and grace to others and to appreciate what the Lord has done in it. And then to have Faithfulness. The idea of faithfulness conveys the idea of long-term walking, long-term lifestyle. It seems this faithfulness or faith of Matthew 23 pulls on to the same type of idea of walking humbly with the Lord. Faithfulness does have that idea of a habit 
a lifestyle. And it's hard to be confident in the Lord in faith if we're still focused upon our own selves. Haven't learned the humility of forgetting our strengths and our flaws to trust in the Lord alone. Jesus says of these three things that the Pharisees ought to have done them while not neglecting the others. They've done the others to the neglect of these things, but they ought to have done these things without neglecting the others. They focused upon these weightier matters of character, weightier matters of communion with the Lord. And to nail the point home, he then looks at verse 24 and gives us this imagery that they're blind guides which strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. Just as blind guards, blind guides started in verse 16, it ends in verse 24. And here they are, looking at two unclean things of a gnat and a camel, both not allowed by Mosaic law for consumption. And it's like they have an image of having water. And they see the gnat in the water, and so they strain it out. Make sure to drink the water without drinking the gnat. But then they swallow the camel without even thinking about it. They swallow it whole. Now, I don't know the research or the numbers, but I know that you could fit a lot of gnats inside a single camel. The camel is significantly larger. The Pharisees are blind to it while they focus on this tiny ant. Because they focused on the, Im, on the precision of the minute, small details. Here we have these two woes. The Pharisees are blind to the fact that honesty is what makes oaths matter. In discussing whether oaths are binding or not, we ought to just have a lifestyle and heart of humility. And they're so focused on dotting every I and crossing every T within the Mosaic law that they've lost the fact that God has desired justice mercy, and faith. And he's desired us to walk with him, to have character formed by observing him, by seeing him, by worshiping him. God's not interested in us as human doings. He's interested in us as human beings. He wants us. You know, it's incredibly freeing. We still have a tendency to relate to God in regard to thinking of external actions 
and how we are to live in light of those things. And God does give us commands that we should follow. Sometimes our focus can be so much on these external commands and the precision of details that we lose sight of the main thing. It's almost appealing at times because if we can have and handle of these precise details, we can start feeling pretty good about ourselves. We dotted the I's, we checked the box. But we're ultimately missing the true freedom. The true freedom at root in the gospel. The true freedom at root at what the gospel is about. Not saving us from hell, though it does that, but saving us to God. To him as the greatest good and greatest glory. We lose sight of the freedom of knowing that accepted in Christ, God desires us to live for him from the heart and to obey him from the heart. If we think about how we relate to God, it's the Pharisees who heap on heavy burdens difficult to be born. It's the Pharisees who strive for a legalistic set of rules that have to be followed or else. It's Jesus who says, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. It's Jesus who takes us as we are, but won't let us stay as we are, but instead by his spirit transforms us to be like himself. Christ died and rose again. We were sinners deserving punishment, not deserving anything in lives of fellowship with God. And Christ died for us. Offered salvation to all who believe. He offered himself to all who would. There are certain cliches and bumper sticker statements that stick. Our wonderful Christianity and our wonderful gospel defies being summarized in these bumper sticker cliches, or if you'd prefer, Twitter posts. They can't be summarized in so short of a statement so that every cliche is going to have some truth and some falsehood. There's a, a cliche that I really don't like that has truth that perfectly encapsulates this text. And that's the cliche that it's not a religion but a relationship. The Pharisees have a great religion as they're trying to figure out which oaths are binding and which are not. They have a great religion as they're trying to whittle down to the details and precision of what they're going to give as an offering and what they're not. 
but they don't have a relationship with the God they want to worship. And Jesus instead invites us into that relationship to have at the core of our moral doing hearts transformed. To be honest, to do justice, to love mercy, and to faithfully walk with the Lord. That's a wonderful beauty. We relate to God not as a harsh taskmaster, but a loving father and a gentle shepherd. That's the weighty matter of the scriptures. Let's not miss it. Father, we do thank you. And in Christ's cross, and Christ's cross alone, we have such hope and such access. We ask, Lord, you would direct us to love you more and more and to rejoice in your good roles. Transform our hearts so that from the bottom up we are wholly yours. And I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to Aroma for Christ, sermons from the pulpit of the Pastoria Baptist Church. Do you remember 2 Corinthians 2, 15-16? For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one a fragrance from death to death, the other a fragrance from life to life. Who is sufficient for these things? <laughs>